Okay, I took the liberty of uh, starting out with a little drawing. Sal shared this with me last week. Uh, where we talking, as we're walking through James, one of the things, especially as we uh, saw last week, chapter one, looking into the law of liberty. Um, when when I compare myself to someone else, I may rate okay in my own estimation. But when I compare myself to the standard of God, God's holiness, who he is, his character, I fall way short, okay? Um, we are, and, and the problem that we have is we tend to develop this self-righteousness about us as if we are good. And in and of ourselves, uh, the word says our, our, our righteousness is as filthy rags, one of the prophets said. Uh, and so uh, Sal and I were talking last week, and, and uh, he said, hey, I think this visual might help. Uh, what this is, is as I'm studying God's word, as I'm understanding uh, God's uh, revelation, who he is and what he has done, what he's going to do, my viewpoint right here, the way I see myself may be at one point, but as I learn about Christ and his righteousness, the holiness of God, that keeps going up. That keeps increasing. Now, about my own self, what happens? As I compare myself to the standard of God, and we've talked about this, I understand the filthiness, um, the wretched, Paul says, the wretched man that I am. Uh, the things that I should do, I don't do. The things that I, I, I do, I shouldn't do, or I, I, something like that. You, you, I, I don't want to, yeah. So uh, Paul himself understood the magnitude of this. And so what I want would say to this is that in between these two reference points right here, what grows in there also as well? Faith is one thing, but if I, if I realize my understanding of who Christ is, his holiness, the character of God, if I realize more and more that keeps growing, and then I realize just how depraved I am, how sinful my flesh is, the fallen man, what how do I cope? How do I deal with life in the meantime until I am resurrected or Christ returns and I, I become like him in a moment, twinkling of an eye, as Paul said? What, what grows in here? What would this red represent? Did a color for a reason. Grace, the blood of Christ, my understanding of the blood of Christ. We talked about this Sunday. Okay, the precious blood of Christ. We were not redeemed with things uh, that are perishable, such as gold or silver, those things that can uh, crust, uh, rust away, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so as I'm living out my faith, as we were talking, walking through James, and this works of endurance, the working of faith, and this perfecting of my faith, if you will, I begin to understand more. I begin to see how precious the blood of Christ is. Because every day, what am I missing? Pull back the bow. I'm missing the mark every day. And that's why in, in 1 Peter, we've talked about the spring. It says, be being sprinkled uh, with the blood daily. What covers us daily. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said, so that we can enter into the presence of a holy God through prayer. Um, what, is he, what is he referencing? Daily, I am able to fellowship in the body of Christ with the Spirit of Christ uh, because of the blood of Christ. That 
I'm being sprinkled constantly. It's those sacrifices the priest would make uh, in the temple, there at the altar, and uh, that enables, it is, Christ is that sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Okay, so today, as we are walking through this again, uh, I'm going to be redundant for a little bit. Uh, I, think, I think that's okay because I think I've been told you have to hear something like seven times to get it, okay? And these guys, uh, that the writer of James, what James is writing about, you, you've got believers and they, uh, they have faith, okay? There's an issue with that faith, a problem dealing with that faith in, in the church that James is going to confront. And so they would have faith in Christ, but they would also have works, Okay, they would also have works, and they would also use this term blessed. Okay, now the issue is that our faith is in Christ. However, uh, there were those in opposition to James and what he's writing about, what he's addressing, that would say uh, they fell into this self-righteous works, works of the law, and they began to uh, they fell into this pattern of living that was that uh, the Pharisees were guilty of, that if I'm right with God, if I'm spiritual, it results in what? Financial blessings, okay? And so for them, the works would be uh, of the law, and they would say that they have filled, they're fulfilling the law, they're, they're doing the law, and for them, their blessings uh, were financial. Um, and so it would be wealth, it could be power, status, notoriety. Um, and then over here, what, do, what James is saying, our faith is doing a work, okay? Uh, let's clarify, what is, what is the faith that we have? What, we say we have faith. What does that mean? Faith, faith for what, in what, in who? Christ's finished work on the cross, that Christ Jesus is the Son of God who took on flesh the redemption story and he went to the cross to be that perfect sacrifice. He paid the penalty for our sins. And as we have, we put our trust, our confidence in him and what he did on the cross, the Word of God says that through that faith we believe. There is, a, there is the revelation, okay, because we hear the good news, we hear the word, and what do we do? We believe, okay? We believe. Our faith, you are saved by what? Faith, okay? Uh, it's not works-based. It is simply faith in Christ. His finished work on the cross, we believe. The word believe, biblically, that is to put a trust or confidence in, okay? And so what we have done is that we have put our faith in Christ. What are the works that we are talking about now that James is talking about? What kind of works have we described? Verse, I'll let you cheat. Verse 2 through 4. Works of what? When James speaks of works, he speaks of works of... Peter calls it perseverance. What does James call it? Endurance. Okay, works of endurance. All right. Now, what is that uh, that working uh, works of endurance? It is doing what to our faith? It's perfecting. 
okay? It's perfecting our faith or completing it, completing our faith. And so that, uh, how, how is this happening? What does James say? The process, what does he call it? Consider it all what? Joy. So our response to this life on this side of heaven, uh, our response to all that we're enduring, going through, should be one of uh, joy. All right, man, we should be excited about this. What? What's the process he puts us in? Joy when you encounter what? Various trials. Okay, so these trials. These trials are doing what? This right here, the perfecting of our faith. And um, when, we, when we begin First uh, Peter, now again, I, I just if you if you are wondering about James, you might jump over to First Peter. On Sunday mornings, we're walking through First Peter. I know that this is going to sound redundant in some ways, but I'm going to give you a clue. Uh, the writers of the New Testament. We're saying the same thing. They're dealing with different problems, but they're this these trials right here are God is using them to perfect, complete our faith. It is what uh, the authors would say: uh, this testing, right? Or what? What's another word we've said? Refining. Okay, and we've used an example. In this refining, uh, it is the example of gold, the heating of gold. As you heat gold, increase the temperature, what does it do? It burns off the impurities, okay, resulting in pure gold. Now, how long as a believer might this process take? Your whole lifetime. Yeah, look at look at me. This is... Um, <laughs> a lifetime, okay? Now, all these guys in the New Testament are saying this is the process. Now, it takes a lifetime, and they're saying, oh, by the way, it's worth it. Because in the end, what, uh, what is to be revealed, all right, is this perfect faith, complete faith. It is a a faith that is approved by God. In the end, when we stand at the, it, this faith is revealed as approved by God at the revelation of whom? Jesus Christ. And so all of the church, um, we will uh, be redundant for many, many years because there are a lot of false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching out there that is getting people to... Focus on the blessing now, just like these guys over here, the blessing in the here and now, okay? Uh, it is false teaching, it is dangerous, and it will hurt you, and it will hurt families. Because what happens is, and we talked about, David talked about this, other people who have taught the scripture here have said this. One of the things is that as we are walking through life, and if I take this position over here, you know, this self-righteous approach, uh, I'm good with God, and I'm obedient, and the result is God's blessing right here. That's, 
this false teaching is that, man, if I do this, God will respond. We use the term uh, bribery, okay? There are those that have developed a faith, and this is not new. This, the pagan gods, the, the worship of the pagan gods and uh, ancient times, same principle. I want to appease, I want to be blessed by the gods. Therefore, I'm going to make sure that I do everything right in order to appease the God. And guess what? If I miss it, I'm going to sacrifice something so that that God will be appeased, the wrath of that God will be appeased, and that God in turn will then bless me. Okay. And so we know that people today are going, you know what? If I'm, if I'm good, if I do what God tells me, I, he's going to bless me financially. I know God wants to do that. Well, the guy who is, and so you have a you have a, a guy over here who's rich, he's wealthy, you know, and and so in the church, one guy who doesn't, he's not as successful as that guy, and he's going, man, I guess I'm doing something wrong. I guess I'm I'm just getting to fix something, or I need to do better, or I need to work harder. I'm not like that rich guy there. He must be more. No, according to the Word of God, it is not based on your circumstance or the results or the outcomes. It is revela- our faith is in Christ, okay? We receive this revelation, the good news. We put our faith and trust in that. And guess what? God says we're going to encounter these various trials. The outcome is this perfecting of our faith. Therefore, guys, guess what? Here's how... What? Well, let me just ask you. So, and we'll, we'll get back into James here in a second, okay? Uh, in the midst of these trials, encountering these various trials, what, what has God put into place that will help me have this joy? It's too easy. It's too churchy. It's too easy for me just to say, well, you, you should have joy when you encounter various trials. I mean... So what if I don't have joy? What if I don't have joy? Uh, What what about two weeks ago when I had to deal with a situation? I'm going to tell you in that moment, last thing on my heart and my mind was joy. So how did I get there? Tell me, how do we get there? Faith. First of all, what we believe, as we've said, our belief drives what? Our actions, our behavior. Good, you're getting it. Our belief. So therefore, we need to have correct faith. We need to have good theology. So God has given us faith. So in the midst of when the feelings aren't there, I continue on. When things don't look good or attractive to me, I'm not real excited about this trial. Okay. So first of all, I need to check off, is my faith is it firing on all cylinders? Okay, what else? Somebody, use Christians who help you, the fellowship, okay, what else? We got faith, we got fellowship, sounds like a sermon. You're praying. So this understanding is that everything, and, and now you're sounding like Job, what we walked through a couple weeks ago, 
um, everything was stripped away from Job. God allowed Satan to remove even his health. Okay, so you basically you're feeling bankrupt, but God gives us the ability to pray. But do if I'm walking through this, wait a minute, we're in the body of Christ. We're in the body. We are many are one. So so you said something about the fellowship and helping. So if I'm about prayer, what how am I engaging in it? How are we engaging? We've got to remember, here's where I'm going with this. We could we could chase this rabbit all night, okay? But here's where I'm where I'm going with this, okay? Is this is uh the body, and we talked about David talked about this, uh the body, many or one, um, the plurality of the body, okay? When you are walking through the trial and you don't have joy, if I'm engaging with you in the trial, as one suffers, we all suffer. One's rejoicing, we all rejoicing, okay? What happens is that we engage in the gifts of the body. The whole ministry of the Holy Spirit is at work in the body, we have different gifts for the manifestation, um, Paul said in Corinthians, for the good of the body, okay? And so the, what God has instilled, what he has put in place, what he's manifested is the body of Christ ministering to one another. So when, when you're going through that and I'm not, I get pulled into that and I, I'm just praying. I'm feeling it. I'm understanding it. I'm empathy. All of these things, because we're engaging in life together, I'm lifting you up before the Lord. I'm lifting my brothers and sisters up before the Lord, and others are lifting others up. I, we don't have any place in the Scripture, okay? He says for us to be constantly in prayer, but you don't have someone other than, I mean, the Lord's Prayer, this is how you should pray, but it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is all about the kingdom. This is all about God uh, the purpose of God being formed in us and through us. And so we don't ever come to the, the forefront elevating self and my needs. I'm just trusting. Here, here's the deal. I know the outcome for me. I know the outcome. The reason why I have to get this is because what it does is it releases me from the power and the control of the circumstance. In other words, what happens to me doesn't drive me anymore, okay? My focus is off of me, and it's on you. You know, we, uh, in 1 Peter, going into 1 Peter, we, we reference some Old Testament examples, okay? And again, with, with James, Old Testament example, Job. But uh, Peter would reference this, James, the fiery ordeal that they're talking about. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's, they, these guys said, you know what, king? And I think the, the way they phrased this, we don't even need to answer you, O king. Basically what they were saying is that, look, we don't even have to discuss this. We know our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we will not bow a knee. So the concept, the, the principles the faith that God is moving us toward is that you are trusting, you're having faith in God 
to the point that you are allowing this testing of your, refining of your faith to move it to a perfecting, completing, so that at the revelation of Christ, you're receiving a crown. Verse 12, James says that you, at his appearing, what do we get? We receive a crown of life, okay? You're taken care of is what he's saying. Stop worrying about yourself. Engage in the body and start helping others get it too. And what that does is it releases us to serve Christ in a way that doesn't hinder. It, doesn't, it keeps us from stumbling because our faith in being perfected, we're released from the power of the circumstance that might be held, or the enemy would love to hold over us, and we're free to engage in faith. We're free to engage in demonstrating the sacrificial mercy of God, being an image bearer. Okay, are you seeing how this is taking place? Because this trial, this testing of your faith, it is producing a, a complete faith. It's going to take a lifetime. So now I am free in the midst of this circumstance. The works of endurance in, in verse uh, 2 through 5 that he's speaking of, what it is, it is freeing me. It is freeing me to engage in my faith in a way that honors God and uh, be an image bearer. Okay? So... Reason why I am reviewing this so many times uh, is because when we get into chapter two tonight, we are going to be talking about works. Okay, and you have to remember what James is saying, what Peter is saying. The works that they are describing and they're talking, referencing, are works. Uh, this working of your faith that is producing an outcome, a complete faith. Okay. So let's jump into the, the text. Or any questions about that? Any? Yes. <laughs> Are you being facetious? I didn't get to listen to all of it, but uh, Alan, when you preached on the very when I was sick, when I was out, the difference between happiness and joy. Okay, now um, the question: How do I get there? How do I get so? How do I? Should I rest? Okay, so uh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't complete that thought. I kind of cut it off. This: How do I have joy? Okay. Uh, we are redirected, each of us through the Word of God, we're redirected. So let's say I don't have the joy, okay? Now, this is why we're not to forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some, as David prayed tonight. So uh, sin or temptation, uh, which we talked about in chapter 1, okay, my temptation, uh, I am uh, in that testing, I may want to fall to the flesh, fall prey to the temptation, and uh, let my thinking give birth to sin, producing death. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. So here's, here's the temptation versus testing. They're in that moment. How will they respond? My part is, brother, I need to encourage you. Your flesh may want to do this. Uh, obviously, you're not really excited about life. 
Joy is not welling up inside of you. What's going on? Help me understand what's going on. Help me understand. So we have this sharing. We have taken off the mask. We're getting real with each other. And then you know what, Keith? If if I were in your shoes, I understand, man. I, I, I think I'd feel that same way. In fact, I have felt that same way. Okay, so the temptation that you may fall prey to Satan would love to you for you to satisfy your flesh. You're not excited about life. You don't have joy in your heart. How many times have I in counseling have we heard this phrase, I have fallen out of love with this person? The feelings, I don't have joy about this. Uh, love is a commitment, love is a choice. So what we need to do is we need to redirect. Brother, what does our faith in Christ say? These trials are coming. When you get done with this one, there's another one coming. Okay? So if I'm going to help someone who doesn't have the joy, I'm going to share Scripture with them. I'm going to remind them. That's why I came over here in the corner and I asked, how long does this last? Lifetime. Okay? Brother, we were talking about before tonight, before you all came in here, we're looking for chapter 4, Revelation, right? I'm ready for the rapture. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, come. We redirect, we redirect with sound theology and say, this too shall pass. Be faithful. Endure. Be obedient to Christ. He's coming back. We were redeemed with precious blood. He's got us. He's got us. And so rather than... Uh, pursuing happiness, which is usually based on circumstances, these guys over here, I want joy, which is a state of being. It's who I know. It's who I know. The reality is that I'm not going to always have that joy. I am not, uh, when it comes to eternal life, uh, I have the promise of eternal life. Eternal life is that perfect life in God. Right? That's what we are looking toward. I have the promise of eternal life. If I had eternal life defined as the character, the full, complete character of God, right now, guess what? I wouldn't have to deal with this flesh. I wouldn't have to deal with sin the way I do. I have the promise of the gift of eternal life. It is what we are looking toward. Okay? So... Because I still deal, as our conversation last week, uh, yes, I'm a saint who sins. I'm still dealing with this flesh. I need you to help me overcome. So I need to redirect. I need to remind we're in the body of Christ. Good theology. Keep persevering. Keep plugging on. Please keep plugging on. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Okay? No quit in the body of Christ. And when we do quit, praise God for grace. Okay. Anything else before we jump in there? Okay, all right, verse 1, chapter 2, Woo boy, chapter 2, mm. I hope you had a chance to, to read the whole, and read James through the whole thing through over and over, okay, uh, so you can keep the context. Chapter 2, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Then he gives an example, uh, for if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring 
and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Verse 4, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Let me remind you, in verse 4, that same uh, phrase there made distinctions uh, in verse in chapter one and when asking for wisdom, but he must ask in faith without any doubt. My translation says doubting, but it's the same word used there in verse four. It is uh, uh, a word that means through judging. Okay, and so what have they done here in verse four? He's saying, "Have you not uh, made judgment through judging among yourselves? Become judges with evil motives." Um, and so what is the example here right away that he uses? Because these guys are saying, look, I'm keeping, we're keeping the law. Obviously, we're keeping the law because we're rich. Guess we're blessed. Okay? The poor guy over there, he needs to get right with God. Something obviously is wrong. Thus, Job and his friends that accuse Job. Job, you need to fess up so God can, can bless you again. Okay, so... He says, my brethren, so he's addressing the church. He's addressing the church. Now, let me, make, um, let me clarify this. Where there's some in this day and time that uh, said, yes, faith is in Christ, but they were of uh, the Jewish faith and they, they went to the law, Jesus plus the law. Were there some who, who adhered to that and they, they added works to the faith? And what did Paul say about them? He said, oh, they're the dogs. We are of the true circumcision, the ones who are of faith. He, uh, James is addressing to the church and the believers, don't fall into this theology. Don't fall into this theology. My brethren, he's, this is a pro- the, the problem was that there were some who were teaching this in the church, and there were some who were falling prey to this teaching. And James is saying, my brethren, even you who are engaging this, my brethren, hey, hold on a minute. Stop with this kind of theology. So let me just clarify up front, even in the church today, how do we see that bad theology being played out in the church today? Any ideas? Yes, ma'am. Prosperity gospel, if I do this, God will do this in return. We have to be very careful. Okay, we don't we don't want to rail on uh, these guys that James is writing to, because, you know, this isn't anything, uh, nothing's changed. It's still happening in the church today, okay? So he's addressing the church. He says, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking to believers with an attitude of personal favoritism. And then he gives this example. What is he addressing here? What sin and what part of the law was he addressing? Do you remember? Partiality, the sin of partiality, okay? Uh, the rich versus the poor. He gives this example, the rich come in. Uh, who do we pay attention, special attention to? Remember we talked about uh, Leviticus 19. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. This is, he's, he's reminding them of the character of God. The law revealed the character of God. The law was a tutor revealing the character of God, which allowed us to see 
thus the beginning, the visual, okay, just how desperately in need of a Savior I am, okay? These guys are saying, we're keeping the law. And so James right away gives an example when a rich man comes into the assembly. Are you paying special attention to that person? Here's how we do it in today's time, uh, this showing of partiality. You know, a, uh, a celebrity, an athlete may be very successful and have no clue what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. Yet a church, because this individual can draw the masses, can draw the people in. When the people come, guess what else can come? Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Now, will we compromise our faith and our doctrine so we can keep that rich man happy and keep him coming and bringing more people with him? Because if more people come, it can equate to dollars. More dollars can equate to larger buildings. Larger buildings can equate to more people coming. More people coming means that we can do more with the dollar. We can do more ministry. And, and that pastor may start out with really sincere motives in love for people, love for God. But what are we getting caught up in? What is this sin of partiality without even realizing what could it be catching us up in? Coveting or, begin this partiality of saying, we want certain people to come. Now, in that kind of response, we see it on the TV. Uh, so we want to, uh, there are certain people that are giving the opportunity to speak to issues in the political arena, in the church, and the only, let's, let's put it in the realm of uh, NBA basketball. There are certain celebrity athletes that what they say is given authority and credence simply because of how successful they are as a basketball player. But when you listen to what they're saying, they don't have a clue. But how many people say, well, so-and-so said it, so it must be good. Okay, so you see how I wanted you to have an example of how in the church we can allow this, we can fall prey to it. Uh, this, uh, if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes and you pay special attention to the one, uh, so the, the rich guy, come sit over here in this place of honor. Poor guy, hey, just, just sit over here by my footstool. Um, They've, what, they've, what he says is you've made distinctions. You've made a judgment. But this guy is acceptable. We're going to preference him. This one we're not. Special attention. And so the character of God, what is the character of God like? People come in. It's really this, in this language, it's the lifting of the head. Take a notice. Uh, when someone comes in, in other words, I'm about treating people fairly and, and demonstrating the character of God to all people. Uh, does someone draw my attention? Oh, wait a minute. I want to treat you differently. That lifting of the head. Do we do that in the service rather than treating everyone the same? Not and the scripture says that with God, it, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. God's, God's not taking notice of that. Why would it be that God isn't taking notice as to who is rich and who's poor? Why would that be? Any ideas? Well, it doesn't matter to him, but I, I want you to, th huh? He's got it all anyway. <laughs> See, that's, that's the, 
that's the concept we're not getting. Uh, you, you know, I, uh, you know when, it's interesting when you start a church. If, have you ever start, if you've never started a church, you ought to start one sometime. It's out of control. It's crazy, okay? Um, it is the wildest thing that you will ever do, okay? Uh, so when you go into this, okay, so Lord, this is what, this is what we're going to be about. This is what we're going to do. We're going to be about the word and loving you, loving people. Okay, we're gonna, Lord, we don't have anything. We don't have anything. And, and here's what the reminder was. Well, do you have the word? Do you have faith in me? Do you have good theology? Uh, who do you belong to? Well, I belong to you, Lord. Um, so, Tim, what can you bring to this? Absolutely nothing, Lord. Well, then who's going to do it? God is. Who's going to own it? God is. Who's going to provide? God. If it's successful, if it's not successful, who determines that? God does, his word. Uh, if I'm a fool in front of everyone, um, is that okay? Uh, well, apparently so. I do it all the time. So, I mean, so um, uh, do you see what I'm getting? Here's why it doesn't matter to God. He looks at the heart. He knows who he is. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need him. So it, it is the sacrificial mercy of God that is on display in the kingdom and in his people and in the lives of uh, just his creation. And he goes, you know what? Uh, according to the word, if he's called us to this and he owns it all, then what am I worried about? If he slays me over here, if he allows me to be slain, if I don't make it, if I do this for 30 years and I got five people who come and do fellowship with me, am I okay? Well, if I'm honoring God's word, yes. Because apparently God's called me to shepherd five people. So now, in the world of church, now I've been to conferences, I've been to conventions. At the convention on the church level, seminary level, some of you all know about this, okay, who, who is the featured, honored speaker? Is it the guy who's pastoring five to 50 people? Well, apparently, he doesn't have a clue. So we're going we're gonna to ask the guy who had 2,000 baptisms in his church. He apparently knows what he's doing. He's successful. Okay, you see how this is filtering into the church? You see why it's bad theology? Because we're presenting a lie to God's people. And that's why you hear me say, we need to get good people. We need to get people, period, out of bad churches. Because when the various trials come, the teachers of the false doctrine and the bad theology will tell you, well, you just need to change what you're doing. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be financially blessed. Says who? The enemy. Remember back in Job, Satan came to God and he says, the only reason why Job is blessing you and honoring you, God, you've bribed him. Take away all that stuff. Okay, so now I'm getting a little preachy. We need to get back in the text. Okay, so have you made distinctions? Well, apparently they had. But James, he goes on, he says, listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those 
who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. We, we could keep going, but we need to just slow down for a second. Uh, he says, uh, beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Uh, what is this phrase? Why would we want to take note of this uh, God choosing the poor of this world? What might he be referencing there, the poor of this world? Uh, what might he, where, where have we heard this before? Any ideas? Matthew 5, Matthew 5, uh, specifically verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed, you taught on this, Alan, when you did the Beatitudes. He, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for those is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Apostle Paul, when he is being confronted about his apostleship uh, from the church at Corinth, uh, he makes this statement. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then he goes on into what is true wisdom, wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. Uh, really, the wisdom of the world is foolishness, and God chose, uh, but he, um, let me read that correctly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, a lot's gone on this week, so. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The world would say that the cross is what? Foolish. For a God to allow himself to be crucified for his creation. The world would say, that is foolishness. Well, the guys over here, this camp, uh, if, if I'm really good, God's going to bless me. Well, a God that blesses is not going to allow you to be persecuted. Have you heard that statement? God doesn't want you to suffer. Uh, God doesn't want you to experience hardship. That's uh, to say that I'm going to be persecuted. God wants me to be persecuted? The world would say, wait a minute. You need to rethink that. But when I listen to Paul or I read his writings to Timothy, he says, all who desire to live godly lives will be what? Persecuted. You see, that's, that's foolish. According to the world, that's foolishness. But God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. So we go on uh, in Scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, he's still defending his apostleship. Um, Verse 10, as, and he's going through this list of, of things, and then he gets down to verse 10 and says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. What in the world could he be talking about there? Uh, making as poor, yet making many rich. Would the world consider Paul to be a rich man? He, forsake, he forsook it all, okay? But being poor, he made many rich. How did he make them rich? Spiritual blessings. What? Well, let's come back over to here. Uh, what? What we're talking about? We got these trials. Oop, that's not going to work. We've got these trials. Perfecting 
our faith leading to a crown. We're inheriting, we're part of the inheritance, the Jewish heritage, which is the kingdom. Okay, so what is God doing? We, we enter through Christ into this life. Uh, I would say this part right here. It is beyond. Scripture says, Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can comprehend at this point what God has for us. Here's the danger. With this blessing that these guys were wanting or after, this wealth, this side of heaven blessing, we often think in terms of the world's riches and we compare what is to come with these world, worldly riches. Have you ever thought this? You may not want to admit it. Lord, I really want you to come back, but can you wait just a little while? When I was younger, before I was married, I said, Lord, I really can't wait to, for the rapture when you come back when I, was, when I wasn't in rebellion. And then I said, Lord, I really want to come, but can you at least wait till I get married? And then when we get married and we endure the hardships, we go, oh, Lord, would you come back now? <laughs> I'm being a little facetious. And now I'm waiting for the green. That's where I was going. You see, we're always, we're always putting something else before God. But when you realize that we cannot even begin to comprehend what God has, it's not even for us. We get to be a part of his glory. We get to witness the glory of God. I want to reference Moses. He asked God, could I just see your glory? What was God's response to Moses? No man can see my glory and live. But here's what I'll do for you, Moses. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by. I'm going to so cover so that you can't see my countenance, my face. And, and he says, I'm going to pass by. I'll let you see my backside of my glory. Now, the times that Moses would be in the presence of God, what happened to his physical body? Radiant. It would change. The glory of God had an impact on his, on his face, his countenance. Now, lest the people would see that fade, what did he do? He covered it in veil. Okay, Paul addressed this in his letter to Church of Corinth. Uh, be, but us in Christ, uh, that veil, that glory, is, we we get to experience seeing the glory of Christ. Now Moses will too, but I'm saying that we're in a different. We're in this relationship now. Uh, when I say relationship, we are right with God, this holy God. We are in Christ. The blood is covering us. And the church, wow. Oh, church, what is to come? Okay? Uh, we are rich by the standards of God, what he considers us to be rich, rich in him, knowing him, the fact that we know him and we are walking uh, a life uh, to please him, part of the body of Christ. Okay, so in 2 Corinthians 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor. Poor according to whose standards? The world, okay? And poor from the standpoint of, uh, you know, the, it is a humbling of God. 
He leaves his glory in heaven, takes on flesh, becomes poor according to world standing. Did it change who he was? No, 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 no. Uh, the Taking on flesh, it didn't change who he was. It didn't change who he was. Who he would be as Savior, as the Son of God, uh, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I want you to think. I want you to understand the language that's being used. Okay, so the, the because what they were doing in the church with James, what he's addressing here is this rich man is looking for this wealth, this status, and uh, what he has done is he has broken the law because God says, I'm a God, my character is such, I show no partiality to anyone. I'm commanding you to be like me and do the same. And so they're saying they're obeying the law, following the law, and then James calls them out. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. You've said this poor man is not spiritual. Obviously, he's not right with God, or else he would be wealthy and rich. And then he goes on to, to remind them, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they, not dis, do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Is he saying that rich people uh, can't be saved? Is that what he's saying? No, he said we need to define. Here's this. Let's go back to our definitions, okay? At the beginning, we need to define what, what does it mean to be rich. Okay, according to whose standard? So a rich man, uh, what he is to do is to not put stock in his wealth. He needs to make sure that he's rich toward God, that he knows Christ. Okay, uh, so whether you're financially rich, poor, it doesn't matter. The, the key is, do you know Christ? Are you in Christ? Okay, and so the emphasis there is not on, but it is the rich of the world, it's the individual of the world who, who pursues the wisdom of the world and the riches of the world, whose allegiance is with the world and not with Christ. Those are the, the unbelievers who are dragging you into court. Those are the ones who are blaspheme, blaspheming in the name of Christ, God who called you. Uh, but if, verse 8, if however you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. James says you're doing well. Um, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Then in verse 10 and following, he, he reminds us of some things. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has been guilty of all. And he uses uh, two, uh, two sins there. Uh, verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Why? Because you missed it in one point. You can say all day, well, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. Yeah, but have you given false witness, buried false witness? Have you lied? You stole? Well, you didn't do all this other stuff, but have you broken one point? You see, that goes back to, going back to chapter 1, in uh, being a doer of the word, verse 20, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Uh, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. James is reminding me, look, you, uh, is this person your standard? 
Are you comparing yourself to this other person? I don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But let me go to the, uh, to the law. Have I kept the whole law? No. James is pointing out, you haven't kept the whole law. You're a transgressor because you've missed it in one. And so he's, he's calling them out on that. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. What is the law of liberty? We referenced this last time. The law of liberty. What is he saying there, the law of liberty? When we look at the law, we are condemned. How are we liberated? How are we set free? How are the cross. We are free in Christ. Okay? The law of liberty is that Christ has paid the penalty. It's not that he did away with the law. Okay? He fulfilled the law. He, yes, we are all under penalty of sin. We deserve death. The law of liberty would say that Christ came and paid the penalty for all. Therefore, when I trust in Christ for the forgiveness of my sin, I am liberated. I'm redeemed. I'm ransomed. We talked about last week, I think, or um, no, I'm confusing. So I'll help me because I'm pulling a Sunday here. I'm pulling Peter into James. <laughs> uh, the precious blood of Christ, okay? We have been ransomed. What does that mean? Someone made payment that we might be set free, okay? Peter's saying the same thing as James. I've been ransomed by the blood of Christ. I am a slave to sin. Christ set me free. He paid my ransom. Okay, uh, let's keep going. So speak and so act as those who are judged by the law of liberty. What he is saying is that my words that I use and my actions that I do must reflect that salvation, that grace, that how I've been set free um, through Christ. As for judgment, in other words, as I have been shown mercy, let me put it in these terms, as God has shown mercy to me, I must show mercy to you. You know what that does to the self-righteous person, to that person who elevates themselves? Oh, my, my, my. Who doesn't show the mercy of God, who's not forgiving, who, who is not gracious with others? Here's what happens to them. Look at the next verse. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The word there triumphs is boast, mercy boasts over judgment. I am one that understands my predicament. I understand the magnitude of my sin. Going back uh, to what uh, Sal reminded us, my view of Christ and my view of self and all this in between. When I look at the law, I, I, here's what I, I, I don't even want to use the word compare. I don't even want to, please. Let's don't profane Christ. Let's don't even get up on the board. How about that? I, I don't even, I can't even put into terms my righteousness compared to Christ. I, I can't even do that. Who am I? On Sunday I said, you know, we want to talk about being in the presence of God and we want to dance and jump around and all that. But everywhere in Scripture when we see the presence of God on the move, when he shows up, the priest, Solomon, dedicating the temple, the presence of God comes down. You know what the response of the priests were? They couldn't even minister. I don't even want to get up on this board. You can put yourself up there if you want, not me. No, sir. I have been shown great mercy. How dare I treat my wife any less? How 
dare a wife treat her husband any way? How dare in our relationships in the body of Christ, how dare I treat any of you? You see what's happening here? James is reminding the church, oh, you've been forgiven much. Don't ever elevate yourself. Paul in Romans, uh, turn to Romans 12. I'll remind you this one more time. There are all, the, all these guys are saying the same thing, Romans 12. And I, I didn't get to um, point this out too much. Let's skip over. Some, this is all in relationship in the body of Christ. We're in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. But when you get over into verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Have you been offended in the church? I called somebody the other day. There was this chance that I may have offended them. I didn't know if that was the case. I called and said, brother, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure if we have a misunderstanding. Paul says that we're to be diligent, devoted to one, diligent about this being united. Um, those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. That's why I said, I don't even get up here. I don't even want to get up here. Do not be haughty in mind, uh, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Now, verse 17 and to 21. Here's where I would relate this back to this law of liberty and, and the need to show mercy. He says, um, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Oh, my, my, my. Let me, let me go to another text. Uh, First Peter, we're going to see this a couple of weeks. Chapter 3. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. He goes on, but hmm, evil for evil, insult for insult. That's Peter. James is discussing this. Paul in Romans, um, never pay back evil for evil. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Whoa. But I want justice. That guy deserves it. You know what he did to my family? He deserves it. Um, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of whom? God. He's saying give it over to God. You've been upset with somebody? Turn them over to God. You think you can do a better job of setting it straight than God? Uh, leave room for the wrath of God. In other words, this person who's an unbeliever and they're treating you, God's got them. He's going to take care of it. Uh, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, are we getting hammered or what? So I go back to this and he says, I am to speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. I have been shown sacrificial mercy. Therefore, I must do the same. Those who do not show mercy, those who, these, uh, whether it be unbelievers, uh, they don't get it. They don't get it. People in the church may not get it. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, 
then we move into verse 14. Okay, He's given this example about partiality. These guys are saying, but we're following the law. God's blessing us because of it. This guy who's poor, look at the results. Obviously, something's wrong with that guy. He's not doing something right. He's got sin in his life where God would be blessing him. Well, 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 wait a minute. So you're saying that you are wealthy because you're keeping the law? He says, look, this sin of partiality, have you not made distinctions? Rich man's coming in and you're showing partiality. You've just broken the law. So it, it negates what you said about you being blessed because you're keeping the law. Nope, that's not the case. So don't call the poor man uh, in sin because he doesn't have what you have. Okay, he's calling them out on this. Uh, verse 14, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? The word there, save, in the New Testament is often referring to deliver, uh, deliverance. So he's now, now I'm going to take you back to works. What have we said, uh, the works that we're talking about? What works? Remember on this side? What works? Works of endurance, okay? Are we talking about these works saving us? No, we're not, okay? Salvation is through faith alone. Uh, is, it is through faith that we're saved uh, by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. So these works that we've talked about in uh, chapter 1, let me let you read it again, and let endurance... Wait a minute, verse 2 through 3. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing, uh, we've, we've described it as refining, uh, these are the various trials of your faith, produces. It is, uh, that word there, produces, is work. It is ergon. It is works. This faith is produced. It's doing a work of what? Works of endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work. The same word again, the root, result. Produces in verse 3 and result in verse 4 are of the same, out of that same word, okay? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I get over here in verse 14. Someone says he has faith, but he has no works. Can that faith save him? What he's making a connection here is the right kind of faith and the works that are involved as a result of being in that faith, okay? Uh, he's going to illustrate this. Uh, so if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, uh, in the text he's saying, "Being warm, be warmed of yourself and be filled of yourself. In other words, this rich guy over here says, look, I'm getting it right. I'm doing it myself. These self-righteous works, here's what I'm doing for God, with God, and he's blessing me. He says to the poor guy, look, I can't help you. There's sin in your life. Something's not right. You need to take care of it just like I take care of it, okay? But is that what Deuteronomy would say otherwise? Deuteronomy, uh, he says, If this sister, brother or sister is without clothing in need of daily food, uh, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? What is he referring to there? What have we already known about the character of God? You go back to Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 10, Deuteronomy 15, Leviticus. Uh, the character of God is such, uh, he says that uh, you're going to have the poor with you as you go into this uh, land that I'm giving you. Deuteronomy 15, 
uh, he says, but if there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, in any of your towns in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously, now verse 8, it says, lend to him. And I want you to catch this. Lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Now, every seven years, called the year of Jubilee, what would happen to this debt? What would happen to lending to a brother? It would be forgiven. It would be wiped clean. So when you get down to uh, verse, verse 10, he says, You shall generously give to him. Your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertaking. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, in verse 11, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your your land. Um, What he is saying, this lending then uh, in Scripture goes from lending to giving, because in the year of Jubilee it's wiped out. So the, the character of God is such is that I see someone in need. I'm going to give sacrificially the mercy of God. He sees us in need. He responds and gives what we need. In the context of salvation, God the Father saw our need. He sends his Son, gives him freely to address our need, sacrificial mercy, that we might be saved through the Son. He's saying, Israel, you're going to demonstrate this as a nation uh, at first, you may think I'm lending it to, for sufficient need, but if it's not paid back, you're really giving is what you're doing, okay? So in this text, he's saying, guys, you know the law. The law says you see a brother in need, you meet the need. You meet the need. That is the sacrificial mercy of God. You're saying you're, you're uh, following the law, but here's the reality. The faith that you're demonstrating over here, It's a dead faith because you're breaking the law. You're saying you're meeting the law, fulfilling the law, but this faith is dead. It's not works of endurance, this works of demonstrating the sacrificial mercy of God. Verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. It is not reflecting the life of God in an individual through faith gives them the ability to represent, to be an image bearer to reflect the love and character of God. So you go to verse 18. We're going to get into some tricky waters here, okay? Uh, now, James is now this opponent or this one who is not uh, walking through this kind of faith but saying, I'm following the law. God's blessing me. Hey, I'm becoming rich because I'm right with God. That person in verse 18 is the one that James is referencing. But someone, that's this person on this side, Uh, may well say, uh, you see the quotes here, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, some would stop at verse 18 and say the opponent that James is, someone would say, ends there. But in verse 18, the first word but signifies someone speaking. You don't have a change until verse 20 where James then says but... I think it's called an adversative uh, participle, okay? Indicating there's a change in the speaker. So this guy in verse 18 is still speaking in verse 19. What is he saying? You have faith and I have works. What's he saying? James, 
you're talking about this faith that comes to you through revelation. You put your faith in Christ, and you're saying that is how you're made right with God. And that the outcome of your faith may be good, bad, or otherwise. Okay? Uh, you're saying that the outcome, the results, doesn't determine that I have right faith. Okay? It is, how do I determine I have right faith? Faith in Christ. Okay? The good news. I put my trust and confidence in Christ by faith. The word revealed. That's why we always go back. The word implanted in you, he said. Okay? Uh, you say, you have that faith, James, without the works? This opponent would say, I'll show you my faith with the works. Works of self-righteousness, the law, okay? So, and I will show you my faith by my works. I'm following the law. Verse 19, and here's where he equates James and that faith to, to even the demons. He said, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Uh, the works, uh, you say it's by revelation. Uh, the demons also believe. And what is the result of them believing? They shudder. Okay? Now, uh, this opponent has forgotten that demons do not have the ability to believe as a born-again believer. To believe is to put trust and faith in Christ. The demon believes or their, their view of God is based on what they know. The resulting work of that is they shudder and tremble. We have in Scripture where Jesus would confront the demon and right away the demon, uh, the one that when the uh, Jesus, I think it's the, the Gadarenes, um, when he confronts the demonic, uh, the demon-possessed man, and he says, what, Jesus, what do you have to do with us? And he's talking about before the appointed time. He was, trim he was uh, horrified that he was in the presence of the Son of God. What are you going to do to me before the appointed time? There's, they all know there's an appointed time. Okay, uh, For the believer... What is James? He says, but are you willing to recognize or know, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Um, and so was not Abraham my father justified? I'm going to show you the difference here. This guy who's saying, I'll show you my faith on works. James is saying, I simply have faith. I simply have faith. Now that faith is going to do a work, okay? But the working of my faith, the endurance, does not, uh, what he's saying is that this result does not determine whether or not I'm in the faith. It is the true revelation of who Christ is that determines if I have right faith. Are you tracking with me? Okay? Because he's going to go on and use this example because there is a working, chapter 1, of this faith. It does do a work. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Uh, he's referencing uh, their Isaiah 41, 2 Chronicles 20, this Abraham being a friend of God. But here's what I want to pull out about this example that he's using, being Abraham. 
when was uh, Abraham considered uh, righteous with God? Genesis 15. Okay, Genesis 15. We have the promise in uh, Genesis 15 where uh, God goes to Abraham and he says to Abraham, verse five, and he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he, who is the he, Abraham, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Theologically, that happens Genesis 15. Now when is his faith perfected? Chapter 22. What was happening there? Uh, in chapter 16, Abraham says, and Sarah, they're kind of talking, and they're going, you know what? We're getting old. Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking God needs some help here. And she gives her handmaiden, okay, to Abraham, and, he, and she becomes pregnant. We have Ishmael. You go to chapter 17 and 18 and what's happening, Sodom and Gomorrah. And now you get closer to, I think, chapter 21 uh, and uh, 20, 21 right in there. And, and God has another conversation with Abraham. You know what the result is? God, Abraham laughs at God. You know why? In his heart. It says in his heart he laughed at God because he's thinking, I'm 99 years old. Can, can I have a son as an old man? And Sarah wasn't far behind him. And so... After that, though, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. They do have a son. Uh, this is God has reminded Abraham of the promise uh, in chapter 22. What does he do with the son? He takes him up on the mount. This is where we, we know that uh, the Holy of Holies would to be later on, uh, the presence of God. He takes him up on the, the mount, the altar, and God had said, I want you to offer your son, Abraham is following with faith, and then he does. It says in chapter, regarding chapter 22, some 30 years later, the promise is back here in 15. It, it is completed. It is brought to perfection. His faith is completed in chapter 22. Some 30 years of this faith doing a work, the, the working of his faith. So James is using this as an example. Uh, and scripture was fulfilled, and Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteous. He was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified. That word uh, in, in this text is meaning vindicated. It is uh, to, show, to show forth. Um, so what is happening here in this faith being vindicated through, through Abraham uh, it is where this faith is, is revealed to do that work. You see, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers uh, and uh, sent them out by another way? We've got another Old Testament example, uh, Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. What was going on there? Uh, the Jews are getting ready to cross uh, to take possession of the land. And uh, they're there at Jericho. Joshua sends out uh, two spies. Now, I want you to hear the conversation, okay? She, Rahab the harlot meets these uh, 
uh, spies. Okay, she hides them in her house, and uh, the king calls her out. She lies to the king, protects the spies. Says basically tells them, "Hurry, they've left. Go after them." And so they do. And then you pick it up in verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. That's where she'd hidden the spies. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord, your God, she makes a statement to the, to the spies. The Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There, now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with me uh, with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. She's asking for them to spare her. She hears of this God, okay? She believes in this God. The spies, we don't have in Scripture uh, the spies saying, you need to believe in our God. You need to be uh, converted. We don't have any of that conversation. She is presenting to her this testimony. Uh, she is, she's presenting to them this testimony of their God, and she is now calling upon their God to have sacrificial mercy on her behalf. Will you spare me? She is appealing to Jehovah God for sacrificial mercy. She is believing on it. Now, they come and they go. Her faith is being perfected and completed in this process. They tell her, we're going to be free from this oath to you, to spare you, if when we come, uh, and we don't see that scarlet cord, that rope, hanging down from your window. She had to continue. What These works of endurance, not only did she step out in faith in calling upon the sacrificial mercy of their God, but she then acted on behalf of that faith in this God who could spare her, and she acted further upon that faith by saying to her family, you need to understand this Jehovah God's coming this way with his people. And you know, just like all the other, he said that he would drive out all the inhabitants. He would bring destruction. That's on us, dad, mom, brothers and sisters, family. Okay? She's responding in faith. She's crying out for the sacrificial mercy of God. Her faith is being perfected, completed. When the time comes... And they see all, I mean, she's out there, and she sees that army marching around. She sees the people marching around. I wonder what's going through her mind. She's completing this testing of her faith. Do, wait a minute. Should we trust in the king? Uh, should, we, should we stockpile? Uh, should we hoard? Should we get things ready just in case we're not? Uh, what, if, what if that God really can't save? She continues in her faith. It's being perfected, and she's trusting. And we know that in the appointed time, the wall fell, and they spared her. And guess is who is in the lineage of Jesus? Rahab. Okay? Another example, okay, where 
This faith that is alive, I want you to see this. In the same way, Rahab the harlot, and then verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. That word dead there means barren, unable to produce life. Okay? So what James is saying, put in the context of this faith that we have, whether it be Abraham, uh, this this trial, again, put up here, this trial, this testing of my faith, refining my faith, I'm believing in Christ. Regardless of what happens, regardless of my circumstances, I am in Christ, and I choose to respond in this trial to reflect the image of God. I'm going to be an image bearer. I'm going to reflect in this trial the love of God. Remember Romans chapter 12. I'm going to reflect the love of God and the character of God. Now, as I'm responding according to God's word and being an image bearer, here's what's happening in my life. God is using all of this to perfect my faith, to complete my faith, and my blessing's coming at the resurrection. That's what I'm looking forward to. I want to see Christ, okay? It is then out of this because I'm responding appropriately and I'm being an image bearer, right? Guess what happens? I mentioned this uh, last week. Christ is the groom. The church is the bride. We're one with him. And out of that love relationship, guess what happens? Opportunity to multiply. This works of endurance, this perfecting of my faith, gives me the opportunity to bear forth life. The works of my faith, works of endurance. It is a life-producing faith. As an image bearer. This one over here that we talked about where they fall prey to the flesh, the temptation, gives, uh, conceives and gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. What do you have in that last verse? As the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. These guys over here that's saying they're right with God, they're following the law. What James is saying is, look, that kind of faith is just dead. It's not able to produce life. When people are self-righteous, when they're about advancing themselves, when they are self-centered, they're selfish, and they're not engaging in the body of Christ, they're not elevating, esteeming others, when they're humbling themselves, and they're demanding that their needs be met, this is about me, myself, and I. Guess what? All we're going to produce over there, we're going to hurt people, we're going to go to theology that advances self and getting it on the here and now, and guess what? God would say that kind of faith is just dead. It's not producing life at all. The Spirit, just as the body without the Spirit, we can give you a couple of other texts to refer to. Genesis chapter 2, God creates man, man is there. It is, and, and God says, I'm creating man in my image. Man is complete there in the creation in the sense of, was there anything else to add to Adam? Only thing needed added, added was what? Breath, the breath of life, the Spirit of God. At that point, man's created from the dust. He's there, but there's not anything coming out. It wasn't until life was breathed in, the breath of God was placed in. The breath, the Spirit, enabled the body then to do the work and reflect the character of God. We go to... Uh, 
Ezekiel chapter 37, the prophecy regarding Israel at the second coming of Christ. Uh, Ezekiel, God says to him, uh, prophesy to these bones. He's talking about Israel, and he does. And what happens to the bones? Uh, they all of a sudden sinews and flesh comes on them, and, and uh, they come back to being created. And guess what happens? Uh, they're not able to move. Or not, nothing's happening there. What does he say? Prophesy to the body, uh, breath. And then breath is given. What happened then? It says that they got up, they began to move. He's talking the second coming of Christ. Israel shall become his people, his nation again, uh, as we move into the millennial reign. Um, what is James saying? What is he referencing here? He's saying, look, this faith, you can say you have faith. You, you, can, you can say, I've got works, but unless it's this kind of faith that is doing works of endurance, you're not going to have life coming forth. When I trust Christ and I have good theological faith, it's doing, this faith is working with this, this, uh, these trials, this faith, this works of endurance, it's working together to do what? Complete the faith, to perfect the faith, these two things working together. And what James is saying, folks, it's not about the outcome. It's not about the results. It's what God wants to do through it all. Okay, you, you tracking with me on this? Okay, so are you covered? Are you good if you have faith in Christ? Yeah. Then when I get worried... I've said, I've asked the question before, why are you worried? Well, I know we're going to worry. I, I know I'm going, I still deal with my flesh. So, But when I worry, when I become anxious, when I'm in the middle of the trial, I need you. God's, I'm, I'm engaged in that. God's doing the works of endurance. He's growing my faith. He's refining it. He's perfecting it. He's not done with me. So in the body of Christ, we need each other because of just what we talked about earlier, Keith. Because my flesh is going to want to redirect me. My flesh is going to, it's going to want to be satisfied and pleased. I need you to remind me and redirect me with God's word. Okay? So that's a hard chapter. We may have to come back. I may need to clarify some things. and That's okay. I may need to look at how I said something and come back. And there are people that disagree on a lot in this chapter. Okay? That's why not too many people go to James. Uh, it's tough. Okay, so I'm just going to say right up front, I may have to come back and clarify some things, and I'm learning too. Okay, somebody's alarm's going off. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to come together. And, and Lord, I, I pray that along the way, there's just so much here uh, in your word to teach us, to guide us. And I know we need uh, more time to look at application and, and how I approach life. And uh, we all need that. So, But help us to walk together. Help us to look for times to, to come together and encourage each other as we're walking through this. And Lord, I pray that we just get it. I pray that we see it. You got us. Free us from our circumstances. Uh, help us to not be tied to wanting, um, wanting to tie ourselves to the world. Help us to remember it's about you, proclaiming you, living out the life of Christ, being an image bearer. And oh Lord, just looking for your return. 
Lord, help us to re- prepare ourselves, to be, make ourselves ready as the bride, to keep ourselves pure for when the groom comes for the bride. I love you, Lord. Thank you for each person here. I know they've, uh, each one of us could share difficulties and our trials, the refining of our faith, and it's tough. Um, so help us to encourage each other. We love you, Lord, and I just pray that you would encourage each one of us as we go to continue being an image bearer of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for being here.